Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. You now and we pray that our worship might be acceptable to you. We're grateful for the blessings you've given us, the blessings of life, family, your word, your son, the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Thank you for the Christians seated around us in this room right now. But God, we also come to you and confess that we have not been what we should have been and we have failed you and we have sinned. And it's only your grace that offers us forgiveness and we claim that forgiveness and rejoice in it and thank you for it. Dear God, we come to you with many heartaches and weights today and we ask that you would take them and that you would be God in each situation. We rejoice that we have a relationship with you and we can count on you We ask now that you help us as we look to your word to make it come alive to our hearts and understanding and then help us to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Family Worship Sunday, we're going to have a little bit of fun. Perhaps you've already had a little bit of fun, but we're going to have a little bit more. I'm going to start by singing a chorus and you have to finish the line. Now, you're not going to want to do it, but you need to do it, all right? If you're happy and you know it. Okay, that was good. Oh, man, yeah, you got this. Good. All right. I've got the joy, 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 joy. You guys are good, good, good. A little harder now. See if you know this one. Happiness is to know. Good, good, good. You got it. All right, now this one. I checked with Carol Hazen. She was the only person in the church this week that knew this one. In all of sacred ground, two people knew it. I'm confident more than two of you will know this. So if you know this, sing out so I'm not disappointed in the worship center. Ready? <clears throat> He's my Savior, my Lord and King. I'm so Good, 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 good. That's an old Youth for Christ one. All right, like uh, these songs, there are many others like it. They're cheerful, they're up-tempo, they're catchy. Some, apparently, are easy to remember. But there's a problem with these songs. These songs are potentially dangerous. These songs all give the damaging impression that Christians should be happy all the time. You mean that's not true? You know the answer. Three weeks ago, I stood behind this pulpit and I preached on Psalm chapter 1 and I said, real joy is possible by following God's word. And so, real joy is possible, but life gets in the way. Reality doesn't match our expectations and we're not happy all the time. The sermon series is entitled, Being Honest with God. So it's okay today to say, I'm not always happy. Life is hard. 
But most of us can survive quite well because we're joyful 80% of the time and we endure the other 20%. Or maybe for some of you, life is happy 60% and only 40% is trouble and you can put up with the 40% because of the 60%. But what if your life is only 25% joy and 75% pain? and hard. Well, you buckle down because you're a Christian and your faith is strong and you may be able to make it with 25% joy, but there's a strain on your faith and your emotions are hurting. But what if all you see is headache and trials and pain and trouble in every direction every day? Your happiness is gone. You cannot see the bright side of things. You are in a deep, dark hole. Remember three weeks ago, we warned you that the Psalms are going to be honest with their emotions, embarrassingly so? This is one of those Psalms. Psalm 13, and I'm going to read Psalm 13, and I want you to listen to the writer's emotional condition. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Pretty honest words, right? Words that make us a little uncomfortable. Now, if these were the words of some doubting cynic or some mentally unstable madman or of a fool, we'd say, okay, I get it. But as we look, these are the words of King David. The greatest of all Old Testament kings, the man who was a man after God's own heart, David was handpicked by God to lead his people. He is known for following God, and we would say, David, how did you come to such a place as this? Well, if you were here last week, you know how he came to such a place as this. Tim preached, David, for much of his life, was on the run. He was fearing for his life. It was almost regular. And during one of those times, perhaps it was one of the two times he was fleeing from Saul or perhaps one of the times he was fighting with and fleeing from the Philistines or perhaps when he was fleeing from Absalom, he writes this psalm, Psalm 13. Psalm 13 breaks quite naturally into three sections and each section has two verses. The first two verses talk about the problem. Verses 3 and 4 talk about the prayer. Verses 5 and 6 talk about the provision. We'll see that shortly. So today we're going to look at more at that psalm under those headings. First of all, the problem. The first thing we notice about David's problem, and it's hard to miss, is the weight. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? How long must I take counsel? How long shall my enemies be exalted You can hear the plea. 
You can hear the pain in his voice. It's like David was saying, I don't mean to complain, God. I've tried to be patient. I've asked you before, but this can't continue. I'm waiting to be rescued. I need to be rescued. How often does that sound like us? We can relate. Waiting is the worst. I thought I might get an amen on that. Nobody likes to wait. And we're not talking about waiting for something like, how long do I have to wait until my birthday party? No, this is gut-wrenching and deep. This is how long must it be that I have to look for a job? Or how long must it be that this illness will go on? Or how long do I have to endure this difficult situation at school? Or how long will I be barely scraping by financially? Or how long do I need to endure in this bad relationship? Or how long will I feel like a failure and be worthless? How long will it be till I see the results of my faith and the results from my prayers? And if I would ask each of you today to finish that question, you would all finish it differently. How long, O Lord, until? Or how long, O Lord, must I? And we get it. We see ourselves in this psalm. We can be honest with God. We hate waiting. The second thing we notice about this problem is despair. Maybe it was the situation, maybe it was the waiting, but here is a desperate man. Here is a man who's at the end of his rope. Here is a man with, <coughs> with nowhere to turn. David is at the point of death. Despair is uncomfortable. Despair is scary. There are few emotions more scary than despair. Despair leads people to do extreme things, make extremely bad choices. Now, I would hope that most of you here have never seen despair that was this deep. But studies tell us differently. Rather than being rare, despair is all too common. Despair is so common that we in our country seem to have a preoccupation with death because of despair. In fact, one segment of America, 60% of the people interviewed have considered their own death, 14% seriously within the past year. That's despair. And my guess is that some here and some who are listening online find agreement with the psalmist's words the problem is serious. It was for David. The third thing we notice about the problem is that there are three aspects to the problem. First, there's the upward aspect. Believe it or not, David sees at least part of the problem being God. Look at verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Doesn't that seem odd? That you would say to the Almighty, how long will you forget me? To forget is a, a failure to remember. It's a, a slip of the mind. It's accidental. It's almost like he's saying, God, you had good intentions, but you messed up. You forgot me. Well, the second phrase is even worse. How long will you hide your face from me? To turn your face towards someone was a blessing. 
you read the blessings in the Old Testament, turn your face on us and give us peace. But to turn your face away from someone was to remove that blessing. To almost, it's almost like a curse. And so he here is not accusing God of just forgetting. He's saying, God, this is not an accident. You're intentionally turning away from me. This is even more painful. If you felt that God was intentionally turning away from you, and yet that's how David felt. And David shakes his fist at God and says, God, you're the problem. Have we ever felt that way? God, you just don't understand. God, you must have forgotten about me. Or God, you're intentionally abandoning me. If so, then you can understand his despair, the upward aspect. But there's also an inward aspect. David goes on to say the problem is also partly in me. Verse 2, how long must I counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? The NIV puts it this way, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? David realized that part of the problem was his issue. And again, we can agree. Because when we're in that dark place and we're feeling abandoned, then it's our own thoughts that become our worst enemy. And we quickly go to the worst case scenario. I'm alone. I'm alone. I must be weak. I'm alone. I'm weak. I'm going to lose. I'm alone. I'm weak. I'm going to lose. Oh, I'm a failure. If I'm a failure, oh, everybody's going to abandon me. I have no allies. Everyone is against me. And worry comes in and then worry builds after it comes in. The problem is internal. It's interesting. They did a study on worry. They interviewed thousands of people that called themselves worriers, and they interviewed them over a long period of time. And they made them keep track and write down everything they worried about. And then in the second column, how did that worry work out? What happened? Did the thing you worried about actually happen? And here's what they found. 85% of the things that we worry about never happen. 85% never happen. Well, there's still 15%. What about that 15%? (laughs) Well, what they found out is of the 15% that did happen, 79% of those were either positive in the end or were not as bad as they feared. So the things you worry about, 97% are already okay. Now, we should be able to say God can cover the other 3%. But that wasn't David's experience. David was disappointed with God. He was at least part of the problem. He was disappointed in himself. I'm not what I wish I was. And now the outward aspect, the situation that David found himself in. Verse 2, the second half. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? God had promised David a crown. And running and hiding and fighting and starving was not part of the deal. David had a problem. It was a hands-on, genuine, with no obvious solution problem. David couldn't deny it. He couldn't talk it away. It was a real problem. And again, we can relate to David. I don't know what your problems are today, but I'll bet most of them are real. Many of them have a physical side. They have a price. The solution evades us. It hurts. It costs And for David, these problems, 
problem with God, the problem with himself, and the problem with the situation led to despair. Now, don't miss this next sentence. That despair led him to prayer. The prayer is found in verses 3 and 4. So let's look at the prayer. Like the problem, the prayer has three focuses and they match the three aspects of the problem. First, there's the upward focus. He's addressing the problem with God. (coughs) Verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Notice he doesn't begin with, God, solve my problems, punish my enemies, fix my pain, end my wars. No, he begins with, God, listen. The word is, consider. David just wanted God to listen. He had been crying and asking and praying for so long with no response. He just wanted to know that he was heard. God, are you there? Have you ever felt like that? There are times when husbands and wives don't feel like they're being heard. Don't feel like the other party is listening. There are times between parents and children where you complain, they don't listen to me or my parents just don't hear me. And so also here with God, we say, I pray, I try, I believe, I read, I wait but I hear nothing. Look at the second part of the phrase. It says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. I just want to know you're there. I just want to feel your presence. If I could just have some little communication. He says, God, you don't need to fix my problem right away. Just let me know you're listening and you get it. Reminds me of Job. Job was a righteous man. Uh, God was rightly pleased that Job was following him and God and Satan get together and God says, have you considered Job? And Satan said, oh, he only follows you because you protect him. No, he will be faithful. Satan, I give you permission. And so Satan takes away his health and takes away his money and takes away his family and then his wife turns against him and says, just curse God and die. And, And if you know the story, his three friends come to provide aid and the comfort they give him is not very comfortable And for 30 chapters, Job goes on and says, God, just communicate with me. I need to know you're there. David could relate to Job. It's interesting that David first prays for his spiritual problem. He doesn't start with his personal problem or his situational problem. He first prays for his spiritual problem, the upward focus. But then there's an inward focus Second part of verse 3, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Light up my eyes, that's an interesting phrase. What he's saying is this, God, my vision is so dark right now, I need your help seeing things clearly. I've been getting bad advice right now, God, because I've been listening to myself. I've been viewing things too narrowly and it's led me into this pit and this pit is like death and God, it's dark in here. Lighten my vision Let me see things the way you see things, God. You know, that's rather amazing. That David could actually realize that his vision was messed up. Usually we don't do that. When we're in the midst of a problem, we assume 
our vision is correct, that everybody else is wrong. And as I was preaching or preparing to preach this this week, I really had to think about this myself. Kevin, is it possible that you can be like David? Can you pray like David? Can you say, God, I need your eyes because mine aren't clear right now? Most of the time, I just assume that mine are fine. The upward, the inward, and now we have an outward focus. Verse 4, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David's prayer is, God, I, I still have this situation. I still have enemies. I still have foes. Now, I'm not telling you how to do it, but I'm asking for help. In other of the Psalms and in Samuel and in Kings, uh, David does pray very specifically. Remember three weeks ago we talked about the types of psalms and the one type of psalm is the imprecatory psalms. Remember we were a little embarrassed about because those are prayers about God, judge, people. Well, David does that. But in this situation he doesn't. He says, God, just be God. I'm not telling you what to do. And I sort of like that. What he says is, God, you just do what you do as God and I'll accept that. I'm not telling you what to do. You're in charge. The theological term for this is sovereignty. God is in charge. And I like one who can rest in God's sovereignty. Okay, part of the prayer is upward. It has a spiritual problem. David addresses that in prayer. Part of the problem is inward. There's a personal problem. David asks for God to help him see more clearly. Part of the problem is outward. It's a situational problem. David commits that to God. Which leads me to one question. <laughs> Why on earth would David, despairing to the point of death David, hunted and alone David, outnumbered and defeated David, needy David, why would he ever think that this little short two-verse prayer could be of any value at all? After all, he's prayed before. He's waited so long. He's all alone. He's at the end of his line. He didn't get an answer. David, why do you keep trusting in this God and you pray to him? And the answer is, God and David had a past. God and David had a past. And that's brought forth in the third point of this passage, the provision. Verses 5 and 6 say this. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You do not expect those two verses to come after the first four verses. That's amazing. The reason why David prayed and trusted God was that in the past, God had proved himself capable. Think back to that first encounter David had as a military man. His opponent was a guy named Goliath. All nine foot nine, Goliath. David's brothers were out fighting. David was home taking care of the sheep. Dad goes, here, take this food to your brothers. He goes to the battlefield to give his brothers the food, and he sees the two armies lined up facing each other. And this giant defying the true God and saying, just send somebody over to fight me. And none of the Israelites are willing to go and fight. And he goes, I'll go fight. Little David, teenage boy, I'll go fight. 
And so they take David to Saul. And Saul rightly says, why should I let you go fight him? Why would you want to fight him at all? Why do you think you'd have any chance at all? And David pointed back to the past. David says, well, once while I was tending sheep, a lion came out and, uh, and I killed it with my bare hands. And once while I was tending sheep, a bear came out and, and I killed it. And God was faithful in the past. Here's what he says. He delivered me. When Saul says, why should I let you go fight? David doesn't say, because I'm brave and I'm strong. He says, because God delivered me and this Philistine will be like the lion and the bear. What David now says in Psalm 13 is because of who God is and because of what I've seen God do in the past, I can trust God now. Can we? Can we? Because of his faithfulness over the centuries, God could say to the prophet Isaiah in the time of captivity, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. He tried, God tried to think of the illustration of compassion that was the most real, the mother to a child. And just imagine how hard it would be for a mother to abandon or forget her children. Even more, he goes, I will not forget you. And the Israelites could believe it. The writer of Hebrews says, because what Christ has done for us in the past, we can trust him. Hebrews 13, 5 says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I would guess that when we're honest, even in the toughest situation, his words of Isaiah 41, 10 have held true. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I, I don't know what problems you're going through. I don't know what despair you are facing. I don't know what you are waiting for right now. Maybe verses 1 and 2 are your own words. How long, O Lord, and you're in the pit of despair. Maybe verses 3 and 4 are your own words. You are shaken. You are even to the point of death. And all I have to offer you is what David had to fall back on. When everything else was gone and everything based on the past, God is faithful and David turned to God in prayer. Practically speaking, how do we pray that prayer? I'm almost embarrassed to bring it up. It's so simple. You've heard this acrostic for prayer before, Acts, A-C-T-S. Pray this way. It's the acrostic Acts. Begin with adoration. <coughs> That's the upward focus of prayer. That is a focus on God. And as I worship God, I'm addressing that issue. Then there's confession. That is a focus on my own condition. That's the inward focus of prayer. Skip T for just a second and go to S, supplication. That is, I focus on the situations around me that I find myself in. That's the outward focus of prayer. And when I've adored God and when I've confessed my sins, when I'm asking God for help for the situation around me, then the T, thanksgiving, is just going to happen. 
Can you remember that? God is faithful. God has been faithful. God will be faithful in your situation now and in the future. Let's pray. Dear God, that is what we rely on today, that you are a God who acted a certain way in the past, and we see that, and we believe that you still act that way, that you are uh, going to keep your word, that you love us, that you're all-powerful. We, we thank you for creating us and for redeeming us, but we thank you for the way you've worked in our life. Give us courage and boldness and faith to believe in you for the situations that you place us in. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.